the priority really is just keep our customers connected, keep them running, keep our employees safe, make sure they're getting paid so we, you know, we can navigate through this together. Welcome to episode 400 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. This is Jess Delfiaco, the Communications Manager. We've interviewed Travis Carter several times before, but never in the middle of a pandemic. Travis is the CEO of U.S. Internet, a locally owned internet access company here in Minneapolis. Travis intends to build out the USI fiber optic network across the city, and while the coronavirus may have slowed down construction, it hasn't interrupted service for subscribers. In this interview, Travis and Christopher discuss what it's like operating his company during a national crisis, and while social distancing impacts operations. He also talks about how, as more people are working from home and schools are shut down, traffic is impacting demands on the network. Now here's Christopher talking with Travis Carter from U.S. Internet. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. Woot woot. <laughs> I'm here with Travis Carter in his office at the uh, U.S. Internet uh, World Headquarters. World Headquarters, World, yeah. Yeah. Um, of, um, in, uh, do you call this Minneapolis? I mean, you're not in Minneapolis. Yeah, because nobody ever knows where Minnetonka, Minnesota right. is. Right. So we are recording what will become episode 400. I missed 300, but now I got 400. That's right. Well done. Um, and, and just so you know, so Lisa Gonzalez, um, the the person who's edited more than 400 of these podcasts, who's done an immeasurable amount of work, uh, she was supposed to be 400. Oh, but this is sorry. It's too topical. And, and Lisa understands that once again, I'll just be sorry. Lisa, her. you could have. How about 500 for her? Huh? Yes. That, yeah. Well, then she's, she's committed for two more years. Well, she's leaving. Oh, yeah. I guess you didn't see the news. No. <laughs> Sorry, Lisa. Now I feel bad. Yes. Actually, as we're talking today, was her last day, and so um, if people um, uh, want to see a, uh, what happens when a rock leaves an office, but Travis, you and I can we can barely see each other. We're sitting so far apart in your well, in your we're, office. We're socially distanced correctly, I believe. Right, and I don't say that to, to make fun of it. It is important. Yes. Um, and your office is pretty much empty. But I wanted to talk about what it's like to be running a company right now. So um, we're going to talk about a number of other things, including your motor motorhome extravaganza adventure cool. on mobile wireless. But uh, let's just start over this. So what is happening with USI right now that is different than it would normally be in the middle of March? Well, as you can see, looking around the office, uh, all the doors are shut. There's nobody here. Fortunately for us, being in the internet uh, business, we have a pretty good uh, set of systems and resources. So most of our folks are working from home. We do have a, a one or two people that are working in our data center just to see, make sure that that's secure and, and people are able to come in and out. And we do have a small skeleton staff of people working in the field doing break fix uh, on our network to keep things up and running. Otherwise, the vast majority of them are working from home. Uh, we're using Google Hangouts. We're using our voice over IP system to have daily calls, monitoring the news, and just trying to you know make sure everyone's happy and healthy. Now, even your, your customer service representatives, they don't have to be here. Correct. The vast majority of them are at home, um, and they're, they're able to VPN in, get on the voice over IP system, and do their job and be, be connected to all the resources remotely. Do you have people who would ordinarily be working who are not working right now? Uh, yep. So when, when a new home or a new business signs up, we actually deploy people out there to run fiber cables or you know, devices inside of the homes. Those people are on hiatus right now. 
And and so as a small business owner, I, I'm just curious. I mean, how do you how do you deal with that in terms of just no, not knowing when you can bring them back and and what you can do for them? Well, the commitment that I've made to our people is they're they're going to continue to be getting paid. They're going to continue to uh, get all of their benefits uh, as long as as we possibly can, which in in our game or in our business, I'm anticipating, you know, depending it moves day to day, but it should be till the end of this pandemic. So I've really tried to reinforce with our staff and our people that we're here for them. um, And we're not, you know, doing like, unfortunately, a lot of other people had to do layoffs and things like that. We're they're here. And we're going to utilize their abilities as needed to keep things going for our customers. So the savage irony is that last year at this time, we weren't even close to being done with snow. The ground was frozen. You're, I can only imagine you looking out the window and seeing this Minnesota where we appear to be having an early spring, where if, if we didn't have a pandemic, you'd probably be getting pretty busy pretty soon. We've waited for this year for four years, <laughs> right? We, we every In Minnesota, we have the four seasons as we like to uh, talk about. So we've been waiting for an early spring and it shut us basically right down about a week and a half, two weeks ago. So yeah, we would be out and running in full force. The good news is a traditional construction year for us starts April 15th. So depending on, you know, what is today, the 20th of March, Mm -hmm. you know, depending on what happens. Now, this is a volatile situation and changes every day. So maybe by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be different. But as of right now, you know, if if the 14 days or 21 days people are talking about, we maybe won't miss much of the season. Right. That's uh, certainly a best case scenario. Best case for us. But that for us, that's not really the priority right now. The priority really is just keep our customers connected, keep them running, keep our employees safe, make sure they're getting paid so we, you know, we can navigate through this together. I'm curious. I mean, the the other savage irony, we got, we got multiple yep. ones here, is that at a time in which you can't really install new customers, uh, what is the demand for your services looking oh, it's, like? It's at an all-time high. You know, it's three to four times our normal uh, onloading of customers. Now, fortunately for us, we've got a tremendous amount of apartment buildings or what mm-hmm. we affectionately call MDUs, multi-dwelling units, already pre-wired. So the vast majority of people can just plug into the jack and they're on. And so we've had real, real big uptake in our MDU customer base, but single family homes are through the roof as well. And a lot of them are disappointed that we're not going to be able to get them hooked up right away. But I'm sorry, I'm not, you know, it's not worth the bigger risk right now. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll, we, we will happily hook you up when this is behind us. What is the, the demand of your existing customers look like? The way we always do our network design is for Sunday night and Monday night. Okay, these are the busiest times for internet traffic, streaming, peering, all the different types of stuff that we have. And so the average day now looks like a Sunday night. So if you take our network and you break it into the core network, and these are the pieces that um, connect to Netflix and all the different types of services, we try to run at about a 10% utilization. So we're sitting there about 10% utilized during the day, where normally it would be much lower than that. Mm -hmm. So if you think of every day now as Sunday night, prior to this, mm-hmm. that that's really where we're sitting. So one of the things that, that then we're seeing elsewhere is that the peaks are getting higher both during the day and during the night. Yeah. So our our big peaks historically were always the Super Bowl 
mm-hmm. you know, Academy Awards. Well, you talk about Game of Thrones. On well, the that's the podcast. super peak. That's the Mount Everest <laughs> of, of our business is the Game of Thrones denial of service. You know, when mm-hmm. that came out, this is nothing near that. When people talk about working from home, our Netflix, Hulu, YouTube servers are pretty busy during the day now. So <laughs> I think a that. lot of people that aren't working or, you know, are, are utilize, taking that opportunity to maybe catch up on their streaming mm-hmm. content. You know, I think we're about to um, – we we decided, my wife and I, to pull Jackson out of daycare um, and uh, anticipating daycares will soon be closed anyway here sure. in the state of Minnesota. And so I can tell you that um, probably you'll see more streaming. I mean, I'm not one of your customers yeah, yeah. yet, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but uh, when you um, – but for the for Comcast, you know, they would see that probably there's going to be more streaming in my house during the day, even if I'm working. Yeah, streaming. Uh, streaming is huge right now. VPN traffic, obviously big for people working from mm-hmm. home. And uh, again, for us, it's just focusing on keeping things running. And I'm I'm hearing that you know some people, uh, non technical people especially, might be a little frustrated with you know um, uh, Zoom not working as well. Although I think Zoom has been one of the ones that works the best. Some of the other often proprietary video conferencing solutions may not be working as well. That's not because of the IP layer, right? No, no. I think it's their 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 server stack is. Let's be honest. Who would have thought about this? If 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 you and I were running around talking about a, a national pandemic that was going to effectively shut the country down, mm-hmm. we'd be kind of considered one of those fringe people, right? Right, right. Imagine and, going and, to a CEO it, yeah. and saying, "I want you to spend twenty uh, percent more in this area yeah, exactly. on the off chance that that we suddenly have a doubling of demand." Exactly. So what we did is when this started, is we started to load up on spares. A lot of compute power, a lot of fiber power, a lot of switch power. So in the event, A, if we have failures, and B, if we get into capacity constraints, we're going we're gonna to be able to just take it from local inventory versus trying to ship it in from mm-hmm. a vendor who may not be open at that time. So, yeah, but you're, you're 100% correct. If we would have been running around saying we need 50% more compute capacity just to sit here, we would have never got that approved by anyone. Mm-hmm. What's happening with uh, your wireless network? So we made a decision early on that our wireless network is made up of 2,500 wireless access points in the city of Minneapolis that we would, uh, previously you had have to log in, give your name, uh, a credit card number, just so that we knew who you were. You know, it was a way to kind of track it. It was an early method for kind of trying to track people for, um, you know, if there's some bad actors out there. Well, what we did now is we just opened it up so that it operates like a Starbucks or a hotel and just let people use it if they needed to use it. So as of this morning, there was about 7,300 connections onto the free public Wi-Fi network in the city of Minneapolis. And that was an idea that the the city had also come up with independently while... Yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of ironic. We were working on it internally on how we're going to do it. And then the city called and said, hey, would you guys consider it? And we're like, well, ironically, we're... You know, so did they come up with it first or us? I don't know. We we all kind of came up with it together, mm-hmm. and we uh, enabled that uh, last Monday. This is now Friday, so it would just been a few days ago, and you can see a steady increase in the number of people that are connected to it. Now, when the city calls you and you pick up the phone, does it speak with a computerized voice? Oh, no, no. Nice people down there, you know, <laughs> trying to do best, and they're just like, hey, can you help? And I'm like, of course we can help. 
Right. And, and here's no, I was just trying do. to make a joke, and obviously it went yeah, over very the, well. The big government? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the government calling. <laughs> right. No, no, they're just people like you and me, you know. Then <laughs> they're dealing, you know, I we're just trying to deal with the technology that I got. I can't imagine what they're dealing with. What are some of the challenges that you foresee with throwing open a 2600-node wireless network with uh, expectations people might have when they see that on the news? Yeah, and, and that's one of some of the things that we're, we're working through now is the expectation. So you got to imagine when we put this wireless network out, like cell phones and tablets really didn't exist. Right, 2007, 2008. Yeah. So now we're sitting here with a scenario. In the early days, you would need to have a client device that we would connect to your home, and then we would run a cable into your house, and we'd put a router in your house and you would use the wireless network to connect from your home to the pole or the node and then you would connect wi-fi inside your home okay that's the model we've been using for the last 12 13 years now you have people that are turning their phones on and they're looking for the ssid and trying to connect from the bowels of their home and going why isn't it working Mm -hmm. so we have a little bit of education that we need to do and that's kind of the process we're going through right now is Wi-Fi. These are the same phones that could barely connect from your garage to your kitchen, right? And now you're trying to go a 1,000 feet down to the corner. You know, it's, it's just physically there's not enough power there to make it happen. Well, it feels like we're reliving the experience of 15 years ago with – the uh, the expectation that a device on the other side of the block is somehow going to be able to give you a robust connection yeah. within your home. Well, what's interesting, though, and I haven't been able to really put my thumb on it, is these phones have cellular service. So why you know why wouldn't somebody just continue to use their cellular service? Well, we can talk about that yeah. um, in a minute. Yes. <laughs> because, so it's yeah. kind of like, okay, I understand the Wi-Fi is free, and I would love people to use it, and mm-hmm. a lot of people are using it. But if you're in a stucco home that has, um, you know, effectively a Faraday cage in there, so you've got your little cell phone that purposely doesn't transmit at a high power because it's a battery, you know, and all these (laughs) technical things. But in this time, people don't want to hear that. They just Mm want to know why. Right. Right. So, and again, it's not an excuse. It's just the way the technology works. You you started an experiment recently in terms of lowering the price in some of the low-income um, areas that you're yep. serving with uh, some of the buildings that have uh, all low-income um, households. Correct. Yeah, we have a fair number of units that are wired, ready to go with high-speed internet, and we were having a very minimal uptake in these buildings. And I, and I was trying to just – I like to work from data – not emotion. So where was the hurdle? Was the hurdle price? Was the hurdle demand? Were, were most people using their cell phones? You know, what, what was it? Mm-hmm. So we started with the very first one is price. So we lowered our price in half. So a typical price for anyone in the city would be $50. 50 bucks, right? Yeah. 50 bucks gives you 300 megabit up and down. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to say it's $25. 300 megabit up and down. So we created a marketing piece. We worked with the management company and we offered that service two months ago now. Mm -hmm. And so far we have zero people. Zero? Yeah. I was expecting some number. Nothing. Okay, so now now we know twenty five dollars isn't the right number. Is Mm -hmm. if again if it's just price. Well and it's fascinating because um I mean, you would what you would expect. What I would expect <laughs> is is that um, moving from fifty to twenty five may not result in everyone signing yeah. up, 
but that you would have moved past the threshold for some group of people. And and again, we're just trying, you mm-hmm. know, again, we're trying to quantify some data here. So mm-hmm. now we're at zero new subscribers. Mm-hmm. The 13 subscribers we had, they're still there and, you know, the, off they go. So now the question is, prior to this whole COVID issue, do we now lower the COVID. price? COVID. Yeah. Sorry, COVID. Sorry, COVID. was an old. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, COVID. Yeah, do we now. I think, well, actually, just I think COVID, wasn't that a that company? Old telco company. Yeah, they That's why I have that in my head, yeah. Um, so now do we lower the price again? Okay. And so, again, trying to determine what type of demand there is mm-hmm. for, and is it, again, maybe people aren't interested. See, this is what's ironic for me because you and I live in this technology game and I couldn't go 10 minutes without being on the internet. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole set of society that doesn't, you know, I, I talk about this on our on your podcast every time. We still have like 1,200 dial-up customers, <laughs> like modems, you know, and, right. and all your millennials on here are like, what? You know, yeah, but, you know. Right, like who's even repairing yeah, those? I yeah, mean, those go devices, on YouTube and, <laughs> Google, and and search for modem and listen to the, yeah. Those devices are well above their mean time yeah. between failure. Well, exactly. I mean, yeah, again, the manufacturer, wow, good job, manufacturers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, USR no, really did the exactly. job. <laughs> but, the, I mean, the key here is, is, my demand for connectivity, your demand for connectivity is very different than maybe somebody else's demand for connectivity. Mm-hmm. And so, again, we're just trying to get to the Although, source. Although, you know, I can imagine people who work in digital inclusion maybe pulling their hair out a little bit because um, there is no one way to describe this population. I mean, we're talking about millions of people at the end of the day. Yep. And so there's certainly some of them who don't subscribe for that reason. For a lot of people, the data does suggest it's price motivated. Yep. And But at the same time, we don't have a lot of experiments with this. And well, that's so, why I thought we used this like, mm-hmm. I think it's 500 units were, is, is mm-hmm. our sample size. We're just using this as our, our, our kind of our Petri dish mm-hmm. to figure out the right thing. Right. And you, so you have signs up. Oh, yeah. And direct mail signs, mm-hmm. the property managers notifying them. Mm-hmm. So there's no, no misunderstanding on what it is. Well, and that's, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm really curious. And I think this is where I hope we'll see more research, um, you know, in terms of, you know, whether there's, um, you know, for instance, there's a group um, here in Minneapolis called CTEP, which I cannot remember exactly. They're involved with AmeriCorps. They've been trying to work on digital divide issues for a lot of years. And um, it would be interesting if they spent some time, for instance, just going door to door and interviewing people to be like, did you know this was available? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. How come you're not using it? Like, <laughs> Well, and that's, you know, that's kind of maybe one of the next steps is to is to grab some of that data. My current thought is the next step is so one thing we've changed uh, and we've just changed it since the beginning of the year is we've started to promote television service through our Internet product via YouTube TV. Mm-hmm. So it started out a little, you know, slow, but we've just now added it to our order form. It's it's unbelievable the number of people that are interested in television. Across your whole market. Across our all of our new customers. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing now is I'm thinking, let's go back to this area, our pilot project, reintroduce it at a low price with a television component attached to it, and use that as our second data point. Mm-hmm. So we have we have price alone, internet only. Now we'll have price alone plus TV mm-hmm. and and we'll start and then we'll start continuing to ratchet ourselves. I'd love to get to the end of the exercise and go, this resonates with certain people. And this is what it is. And then it's duplicatable. Another common challenge for people is devices. But you have a relationship with PCs for people. Correct. Yeah, them and the gadget guy. There's a bunch of uh, people that we have worked with to help people with technology because you're spot on. 
I don't even know if most of these people have computers. Mm-hmm. I, I really, I don't. You know, and again, I hate to say these people. It's just this group, right? This group of people that it's either price or demand mm-hmm. or, or entertainment. You know, I don't know what it is yet. Right. I mean, I, one of the things I was going to say was, I mean, I'm I'm so staggered at zero new signups. Um, was that in some ways your experiment has a major, the pandemic falling right in the middle of it could have totally corrupted it because you may see sudden new demand because of the people being quarantined. Yep. But it's, it's zero, it's zero. Zero, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, again, my data is four or five days old, mm-hmm. so we could reconvene, say, in another few weeks mm-hmm. and see. But it was not very promising price only. Mm-hmm. So this is something that you and I have talked about quite a bit, is how how do you as a private company figure out how to connect the entire city? Correct, And yep. And one of the things that, that I've said <laughs> that that um, you know is that I would like to see the city doing more. And, and I know that you have your own conversations with the city, and, and I don't want to put any words in your mouth. Um, but, but looking at it from a perspective of a private company, you, as, a, as an ego point of view, you want to be in front of every address in Minneapolis. Correct. It, that's yeah, important yeah, to yeah. you. Yeah, that's and, a career goal. Sure. I, I'd love at the end of my career to go, yep, the place I grew up with in mm-hmm. and, the, and where I went to school and all my friends live, yep, we did that. Mm-hmm. Now, the challenge is, is that you know – um, on a neighborhood by neighborhood basis, where there's demand, you have using the proxy of your wireless service because Correct, you've, yeah. you've had wireless everywhere for 12 years. You have a sense of some neighborhoods take much more of it than other neighborhoods. Correct. And so the challenge for us is appeasing the financial institutions that we borrow money from. You know, we have to be able to make the bank covenants work. Mm-hmm. And so you have two ways of doing that. I can continue to raise the price on our current customers to feed in areas that I feel are less demand, or I can figure out why there is less demand. And that's where we're using these apartment buildings that have historically low uptake, because I feel if we can figure out the right formula there, and if it's a price, entertainment, maybe a technology component, you know, whatever that ends Mm -hmm. up being, because remember, an apartment building in my mind is no different than a series of homes. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's how do we crack the demand and desire element? That's what we're working on now. So if we can get that figured out in this pilot project, I think that will apply to everywhere in the city. And then I, I affectionately have been calling them internet opportunity zones, mm-hmm. right? So this is an area here that we don't see as much uptake, but we have a rationale based on our pilot project, again, pre-pandemic, of this is the products and service we should put into that opportunity area and then we have to figure out how to finance it so maybe there's an opportunity to work with the city you know they're 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 always open to ideas i don't know what they can or can't do but they're at least open to having ideas maybe i can find some other funds maybe the minnesota broadband grant would stop not allowing us to participate you know right, i don't just targeted at rural areas it's, by it's targeted at rural areas which is fair yeah. i totally get well, it but it's it's fair in the sense that comcast convinced the legislature yeah. to write it in a certain direction but i mean i would love to be able to go to them and say hey you know what how about i put up 50 percent and and i get a 50 percent grant and then i can make the math work everywhere mm-hmm. so again there's there's a solution here and we're gonna we're as long as i'm sitting in this chair we're gonna finish minneapolis okay it's mm-hmm. just how we're going to get there. I just need to be non-emotional along the way and how whatever people think or call me names or whatever the case may be, we're going to figure this, we're going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Are people calling you a Trekkie again? 
Yeah, they call me a nerd, but I'm okay with that. So, <laughs> um, you know, I was having a conversation with someone in in Minneapolis, and um, and and I mentioned to them that and I think this is worth repeating that that you know from your point of view, it's not it's not a game. Like, I mean, let's just say for a second, SpaceX could turn out to be something um, with their Starlink, in which they would suddenly take thirty percent of the market. They're not going to, and they're not even trying to do that. But like yep. we we fundamentally don't know what's going to happen in two or three years. You have loans you have to pay back, yep. and people have this sense like, oh, I'm sure you're just an LLC, and at the end of the day, the worst thing that happens to you is you lose your business. Well, since I'm personally guaranteed on all this, I lose everything, and that's what I wanted to. Wanted yeah, to every mention. yeah, yeah I, I have absolutely nothing at the end of the year, and sadly, I'm not qualified to do anything else. <laughs> My backup plan was to work at, as a greeter at Walmart, and I heard they got rid of them, so right. it's like that's all I had. So I have got to make this work. Right, and but I mean, the point I think is is people have a misunderstanding. They think that you could go to a bank. And, and say, I want you to loan money to this limited liability corporation. And then if it doesn't work out, hey, too bad. You don't get paid back, and I'm going to go take oh, the money I made, and I'm going to go yeah, live in that, the Caribbean. Again, that is, if you've never been in business, if you've never been an entrepreneur, I can understand why you might think that. But that's not the way it really works. Banks are in the business of being paid back. <laughs> and there's no misunderstanding at the bank that if yeah, you've got to be able to pay them back. Yeah, okay. no, they don't. They don't take. They it. don't take risks for public good or whatever you want to. You know mm-hmm. how you want to refer to it. They look at you and go, "All right, what are the odds of you of us getting paid back?" And like I always tell my bank, the odds are a hundred percent because I work day, nights, and weekends to make sure that this is going. And but I but I would challenge you on one thing though. Mm-hmm. Technically, I feel we do know where we're going. And here's and and I'll put my name and reputation on this wireless will never replace fiber so the deeper we can get fiber into the neighborhoods the better off the citizens will be and the users of the network and i'm 50 years old i'll be happy to sit here in 40 years and have Mm -hmm. this conversation with you again yeah no i I think you're you're right but there's a couple of assumptions you're making one is that you're going to have a company offering a very good value proposition now comcast uh cable um offers and some people might be falling off their chairs when I say this, a pretty good value proposition in a number of areas. They mm-hmm. offer pretty fast connections. And I'm saying that relative to a company like Mediacom or CenturyLink. Oh, sure, fair enough, yeah. Or something yeah, like they, that. They, and honestly, they do a pretty good job. Right. And so, um, but with their prices and whatnot, there's always going to be an opportunity to compete against them. And to some extent, um, you know, you've certainly done well competing against them with fiber. But if you look in Boston with NetBlazer or Starry, two ISPs that are doing quite well, also competing against Comcast with wireless. Um, you know, I think if Comcast switched to an all fiber infrastructure, those wireless companies would still be doing pretty well because there's a couple of other variables that are also important. Well, and, and I'll agree with you that I think what you're seeing the shift in the ISP world or, or the it used to be speed, 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 speed. Mm-hmm. It's, it's now how reliable are you? Mm-hmm. You know, even the conversation I was having this morning, speed wasn't even a conversation. It was how many nines of uptime do you have? Mm-hmm. Because people expect the Internet to be there now because they're using it for so many parts of their life. And honestly, you know, with VPN traffic and all that, that's really low bandwidth utilization. So it's very – it's hard to even see a big uptick from people working from home like vpn in for doing email and group chats. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when we get into situations of streaming and all that, that's where the consumption really is. And so, you know, when you grow up your whole life and TV just works, 
and now you put them on an internet streaming platform, to them it's still TV. Why wouldn't it work? It's one of the challenges we had with voice over IP. The phone companies did such a good job with right. landlines. Yeah. My landline worked my entire youth. Right. Never once was it not there. Yeah, people don't even appreciate it. I think like you could literally have a tornado that would rip apart the electric system. Yep. And and I'm not saying that every telephone worked, but there was a lot of them yeah. that still worked. My water always comes out of the pipe. Mm-hmm. I don't know how. I mean, I, I haven't really dug into how it works, but it's always there, and that's what internet's becoming. Well, and it's it's hilarious because most people don't know how that happens because yeah. if they knew how it happened, they wouldn't go buy a ton of it before a pandemic because well, okay. water is one of the things we're not going to run out of. Yeah, you know what? When you and I, I don't know when you were growing up. When I was growing up, I drank water out of the faucet. <laughs> I still do. Uh, yeah, so exactly. I put, I, I put ice cubes in it. Though. Yeah, but you know what I mean. So yeah, I'm not sure that we're ever going to run out of that. So, no, I think that the key here is is that it's all about reliability. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that now when my friends are calling me up and saying my VPN's dropping like crazy. I'm buffering in Netflix, you know, not on our network, but on somebody else's network. It has nothing to do with the speed conversation. Right. And I think that's right. a key thing. Right, and I think, I think people take it for granted now. They think it's going to be fast enough in urban areas in particular yeah. that, that they, they've stopped. It's not a differentiator anymore. They assume that part. Correct. And they're yeah. looking for the reliability. So I want to end by talking about your, your great vacation. Um, I don't, <laughs> no one can see the slides, but. <laughs> I had this harebrained idea. I hadn't really had a vacation in years. And so I decided I'm going to go on a vacation, and I decided to do it the way our you know, our ancestors did, except not in horse and buggy. I got a motor home, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now here's the challenge. I'm an internet addict, you know, and I admitted, what am I going to do? So I'm going to give the cellular companies an opportunity now. Mm-hmm. So I went out and got a, a, a LTE router and a couple SIM cards, and on the road we went. Did you go crazy with uh, T-Mobile? And, I went with uh, that 5G? T-Mobile blast thing. Okay. Oh, yeah, 5G. Yeah, that. <laughs> That <laughs> there's no 5G, right? That's a hell of a marketing. Anyway, so uh, I got the T-Mobile Blast thing. I got the Verizon thing, and down the road we go. Well, about four days into it, it worked okay. You know, if you had good mm-hmm. coverage, and you know, I'm using the signal meter. You, you got to be a dang IT scientist to make this work. But anyways, on day five, it all stopped. So I call back to the office. I'm like, hey, my 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 cellular thing isn't working well oh you're over your data limit i'm like huh data limit 20 gig or something in like two and a half days Mm -hmm. well then it's you get more and more and more i think i ended up spending hundred three hundred dollars on data through this whole thing and you know what i ended up using most of the time is i'd go find somebody's wi-fi hotspot at a a, a starbucks or at a mcdonald's because and i will say this and we'll, we'll, we'll put this in the podcast for all time there is a 0% chance cellular takes over being everyone's <laughs> internet provider. It's terrible. Well, even even the 5G, I mean, they talk about how great it is, and they fully expect the, I think, four-fifths of it, you know, 80, 80%-ish to be offloaded on Wi-Fi. Yeah, it, it, it's exactly it. So then I did this little experiment because they talk about how, well, if only if the cellular tower is overloaded are we going to rate limit you. Uh-huh. So I, I was on the outskirts of Abilene, Texas or something, or Amarillo, Texas, right? Mm-hmm. And I went out in the middle of nowhere. There was me and cows. <laughs> I was getting rate limited like crazy. So anyways, I'm just saying that this was my whole thing. This is why cellular companies, Starlink, you know, all these kind of, they're all wireless at the end of the day, will never compete on what we're putting in. You put in a fiber connection to somebody's house, you give them a high-quality Wi-Fi connection, 
Um, even now with Wi-Fi 6 coming out is the biggest evolution in Wi-Fi, and it might be something you want to talk about in a future podcast. Game changer. Mm-hmm. FCC opening up the 6 gigahertz band. Game changer. So I would challenge you to say, yeah, we know what the next 10 years is going to be, and unless they invent something faster than light, I think we're okay. <laughs> so I'm okay with personally guaranteeing tremendous debt mm-hmm. to build this out. Because I think it's the right thing to do. And even in this pandemic, you can see there's zero, zero impact on the network. Everything, everyone's working. Everyone's enjoying the content. We just need to get through this together. That's a great way to end it. I was trying to decide if I should go anywhere else, but I feel like that's a good place to Is end. Is that episode 400? Episode 400. In the bag, huh? All right. Yeah. Sorry, Lisa. <laughs> Lisa will be on next week with a conversation that uh, we recorded um, as her goodbye. Um, it's... Uh, it's not, it's tragic to to work with someone for eight great years and then not even wow. have a chance to see her, um, you know, as as she leaves out, as she um, moves on to another job. But well, um, congratulations for her. And uh, yeah. can I call dibs on episode 500 then? Uh, you could try. Yeah, All right. It'll be two years from now. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Well hopefully done. Hopefully we'll be in a maybe do it in a bar that actually has people. Well, yeah, because. <laughs> I haven't seen anyone for days, so it was nice for you to come over today. You're my first human interaction in almost a week, so thank you. That was Christopher talking with Travis Carter, CEO of U.S. Internet, a local Minneapolis-based ISP. Check out other Conversations with Travis in episodes 359, 301, and 194. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at medianetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at medianetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at CommunityNets. Follow MediaNetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at MediaNetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power, Composting for Community, and the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arna Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 400 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening.